Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're like me, you have a cup of hot coffee there with you, settle down in your favorite couch. And I'm really glad you gave the time today to join us in worship and to hear some time in His Word. And my heart today is so excited about what I'm going to be able to share with you over these next minutes. And it's right in the middle of that series that John gave us. That awesome series, Say This, But Don't Say That. And you know, he's so correct with the idea that words really do create worlds. And those words create our worlds. So when he jumped on this series, I went right to these two words that I'm going to give to you a little bit later. And honestly, this is what I really wanted to share with the church because it's been so meaningful to me. So settle in there with your coffee and, and let's get so going. Uh, words are so powerful, are they not? Words that are positive, words that are negative. Go back through your life to words that you remember as a kid, words that blessed you and got you going, and words that maybe kind of set you back and got you trapped. And today we want to talk about say this and don't say that. As I've talked to a lot of people over the years, so many people I know said to me, Dave, I just wish I heard my dad or mom, but generally dad, tell me that he loved me. Now I know he did, or at least what I've thought about that, he did, we say to ourselves. But there's something about hearing those specific words that do something in the life of a young person. And I've talked to many people that never had the experience in their entire life of hearing their dad say, I love you, or maybe even their mom. And as they go through life, they're challenged because they're trying to deal with something that we're going to hear about in this talk this morning. We call it the blessing. So we're settled back and we're ready to go. I talked to one friend in particular, good guy, I'm not going to mention his name, obviously, but he planted three successful churches, one after the other, in a community with college students. And talking to me, he said, David, I never once heard my dad say to me, I love you. He said he'd just get fidgety and nervous when he brought the topic up to his father by saying, Dad, I love you. And Dad would always come back with something like, Ah, here's back to you, kid. Kick it back to you, kid. Kick it back to you, kid. And that's all he got. But now his dad is long gone, but he still hurts for not hearing those words. That's the power of words. Words really do make worlds. They make our worlds, and they make other people's worlds as well. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you're in that situation today. Well, some of the good news we'll hear is your Heavenly Father said to us, He loves us. And of course, we know that adage, Jesus loves us. This we know because that book tells us so. I wonder if it really was a general, generational issue in so many ways. And I think it was. Like my dad, and maybe some of you, maybe your grandparents, they fought the Second World War. They came back victorious. They were incredibly brave. They liberated a continent. And they came back to sip lemonade or other things on their back patio 
And I imagine it could have been so challenging. Many people I know whose dads or grandfathers fought that war said they don't talk about it. They just don't talk about it. And I, for one, say, I want to hear about it, but people don't like to talk about it. So sometimes it came back quiet. Their fathers, generationally, may have fought the First World War with all of the shell shock of trench warfare through France. And they came back quiet as well. And so I think there may be generation, generational issues to why those words just seem so difficult. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you ever struggle hearing those words or not having heard those words? You're not alone. Many times we translate what others say into I love you, and that's actually a very healthy thing. But as you're living your life right, I'm proud of you, son or daughter. You are on the right path, and I'm so glad you are here in my life. Just some of those words can be so important, and that's what we find in the word calling out the blessing. There was something that was written in 1864, and maybe you know it. It was an old nursery rhyme or something that we heard and probably as a kid or maybe as an adult, but I know you're going to know it. It goes like this. Sticks and stones, what is it? Will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And maybe we said that as a kid, or we heard it, or we can recite it in our brain. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words, they'll never hurt me. But you know, in reality, that isn't true. The first part's true. Sticks and stones will break our bones. But the last half of it, that words will never hurt me, just isn't true. You know that, and I know that. If we wonder if it's true for our lives right now, just take a second and reflect. Do you remember any words that somebody said to you as a kid? Or maybe somebody in high school? Maybe you were told you'll never amount to much. Maybe you're told that you're not like your brother. Maybe you were told there's no real destiny for you. Maybe somebody called you a name. Or they said you were short. They said you were too tall. You, this or that, but you remember them. You remember them because they still kind of reverberate because sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can attack our soul. And the soul sometimes is a lot harder to fix than that which may be on our body. As we mentioned, some of this really was kind of generational at that time. And so when John calls us to simply say this and don't say that and to make worlds with positive words and to avoid taking negative words, some of this is kind of generational. I remember that NPR, National Public Radio, did a powerful, powerful This American Life episode on a woman named Deborah Blum who was a Pulitzer Prize winner, wrote a book looking at what scientists and social scientists and helping professional people often said about raising children from the years 1900 to 1946. And some of it was absolutely bewildering. 
I don't know if it's because they were coming out of the Spanish flu, which was something even worse than what we're going through. But oftentimes, people in helping professions would say things like this. Don't pick up your child. Don't coddle your infant. Don't come to them and give them any comfort when life for them is difficult because you're going to weaken them. And others of them made statements, as Deborah Blum says, uh, if you go back to any of the old, even psychology textbooks, the word love is oftentimes before 1946, not even in the index, challenging. There was a guy in 1928, his name, and he was the head of the Behaviorist School of Psychology, John B. Watson, said this, and listen to this. Never hug or kiss them, your children. Never let them sit on your lap. If you must, he writes, kiss them once on the forehead before they go to bed and shake hands with them in the morning and give them a pat on the head. Uh, a Nazi-era German parenting book advised that the best child is literally in a separate room. And there was a woman who wrote at that time, her name was Harar, 12 million different books, at least 12 million in the publishing of her books, and she said uh, statements that were absolutely incredible. She said this, babies should be isolated for the first 24 hours of their life. No skin-to-skin -skin contact, no first feedings, no time with mom, no time with dad, but leave them alone for 24 hours, and it makes them strong. Well, as you know, and as I'm hearing, that love really wasn't a factor at this time in that first generation, but something happened, according to Deborah Bloom. There's this guy named Frederick Harlow, who wasn't a perfect person, but you can look him up, and he decided to do experiments and involve monkeys. Monkeys always get the hardest experiments, you notice that? You know, monkeys always get it. And so they put these little baby monkeys up with fake monkey mothers and fake monkey dads, I presume, and then he watched what happened. And wouldn't you know it, those little baby monkeys suffered because they didn't have the embrace or the connection with mom or dad. That changed the world almost overnight. Gone was the idea of isolating your infant for 24 hours. Gone was the idea of not hugging your little child. Gone was the idea of not kissing. But it struggled to get these words that maybe had been generationally not said that often, like I love you or the blessing out to the next generation. But things have changed so deeply than those set of experiments. Well, what this is all talking about was something called the blessing. And if we look from the Old Covenant, which are all of the books of the Bible, the, what some of us call the Old Testament, that, that our Torah and the writings and the prophets, all the way through the New Testament, you find this thread. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful that it can change our lives. It's so powerful that it can bring healing to the soul. It's so powerful that it can help us transform the lives of other people around us. 
And it is simply, in this series, two words. Bless, but don't curse. We find it specifically in the book of Romans in chapter 12 and verse 14 where Paul just says this, bless people, don't curse them. So we're talking about the blessing. There's a great authoress, her name is Brene Brown, and she did this fabulous work on shame and guilt. And if you haven't read her works, I encourage you to pick them up. Because she tells us there that this thing of shame and guilt are the two most powerful, what are called, affects in the human life. She tells us, and she's right, that the feelings of guilt and shame are actually universally experienced. She would go on and others with her would say, a little bit of guilt and a little bit of shame is not a bad thing so that we don't do stupid things like play in traffic, like go to the Chester meat market and decide to steal everything. Well, we know that there's something not right with that and we get a lot of shame because they probably call some of the people they know from the church. So a little bit's okay. But shame and guilt quickly, quickly trespasses into toxic guilt and toxic shame. And toxic guilt, that there's nothing that I've done that can really remedy what I've done. And toxic shame that basically says, I, as a human being, am flawed, and flawed so deeply that there is nothing that can remedy me. This sense of guilt and shame so penetrates human lives I add to that, that in this life, an adage I say, no one gets in and out of this life without being broken. Come on, I know you're drinking coffee this morning. I know you're thinking about it. I trust you're still hanging in. I want to ask you this. Where's your brokenness? Where did it come from? How long have you had it? What do you find as any remedy for it? You say, Dave, I don't like to think about things like this. I say, really? How often have you thought about that sense of guilt or that sense of shame just over the last month? Maybe words such as, I really don't amount to anything. Or concepts such as, when people get to know me, they'll not like me. Or the idea that God may love everybody else, but he really can't love me. The idea, especially if we grew up in an alcoholic home or other things were going on in our childhood, we deal with the idea that things don't get better. Things just don't get better. Doesn't COVID tell us this? Our lives just fall apart. And that's what they were somehow destined to do. And so these things are what, what I kind of call a, a fallen narrative. And maybe today we can get released from some of those fallen narratives and we get released by this simple concept of say this and don't say that. By understanding this concept of the blessing. 
and not the cursing. I wonder if many of us just wind up cursing ourselves. I wonder if many of us really can't find an inch or a speck of love that we have for ourselves. And instead, we put curses onto our own life. And the reaping of that is so difficult. You say, David, what's to free us? The freeing of that is very real. We talk about it this morning because there is an incredible freedom and it's launched in those two words of blessing, not cursing. And when we think about it, the fallen narratives that we have, oh, David, what is a fallen narrative? Again, that fallen narrative is a lie that we believe about ourselves. You think everybody else believes it about you, but they don't necessarily believe it about you. But we believe it about ourselves. When they find out about us, then they're going to know that we're fake. Or they realize that we don't really know what we're doing. And so that that penetrates our life. I don't know what your fallen narrative is, but I imagine where you are sitting down in your kitchen or your living room watching this, whatever state you're in, I believe that the Holy Spirit of God can help us today to just bring that to the surface. Even in these moments. Just ask him, Lord, what is the fallen narrative that I'm believing? It may come to you in a sentence. You go, yeah, I've heard that before. But that sentence is decades and decades old. It comes from a family that's 40 years gone or 30 years gone, but it's active and alive today. This is where the blessing brings healing. The blessing brings transformation. The blessing in my life counteracts the power of that fallen narrative. Because in the end, what Jesus is doing is he's taking us from our fallen narratives and he's bringing us to our new Christ narrative. And that's a process. And oftentimes it's a process of taking the lies out and putting the truth in, to putting the blessings in, and to taking the lies of curses out. You know, you, you go back and you see this so powerfully throughout all of the Old and New Testament. And, and there was this guy, let me tell you about him, his, his name was Jacob. I kind of like the story of this guy Jacob in this. It's in one of those first books. It's the first book you open it up in the book. It's, it's Genesis. And you find out about his life. And I can relate a little bit to that. Um, Jacob's just a guy who wanted to make it big in life. Wanted to have it all. And he had a little brother named Esau, and he wound up cheating his brother, and his brother sold the fact of his birthright, because his brother was a little older, just sold that birthright, and then Jacob took advantage of him in order to get whatever he could get. And so there was a time when his dad was dying, and there are four instances quickly in Jacob's life I want to give to you. In that first instance, he goes, and there, and his mom, she was in on this deal. Just disguise yourself, and your dad will give you the blessing. That's how powerful it is. See, blessing isn't just something you do with dinner. Blessing isn't something 
you say when someone sneezes? It's at the heart of a human need born in each of our lives. And so mom gets them dressed up a little bit, and dad, who's blind, puts a blessing on him by putting his hand on him. So Jacob takes a blessing that is not his. That's his first of four experiences with blessing. And then this guy, who really wasn't a believer, because he said, your God gave me this, not me, not my God, he goes out in a forest. He's like camping. And COVID wasn't even going on. And in the midst of that forest, suddenly he has this dream. Whoa! And in this dream, you see something you might know of it as the word Jacob's ladder. And he sees like angels ascending and saying, This guy really got wigged out by that dream. And he wakes up and he shakes all the stuff and he goes for his coffee. He probably had a traveling espresso machine. And he goes for his coffee, drinks the coffee, and he goes, Whoa! He said, God is in this place, and I never even knew it. How often have you said that? You know, God was in your life from the beginning. We just didn't know it. He was there in the hard times. He didn't create the hard times, but he was there in the hard times. And he's there now. So Jacob, in the second encounter of blessing, has God come to him in a dream? And God says this, I don't know what God's voice is like, but it, I'm not even going to try. But God says to, to Jacob, hey, guess what? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless everybody in the whole world through you. Well, that's a big saying to a guy who just cheated his brother out of a blessing. You say, hey, God, you're not getting this straight. Like, for example, God, let's talk about the fact that you are putting on this guy Jacob this amazing heritage that encompasses the whole world someday. He doesn't even understand the blessing. And God would say, I, I know you're right. He's broken just like all of these human beings. That's why I came here. But God, he doesn't understand what the meaning is. So why do you entrust him with anything? Well, I'm just entrusting him of being the progenitor of a blessing, something physical that's going to go to the entire world. And I've got my attitudes about that. Well, God, tell me about this blessing. Yeah, you can't earn it and you can't deserve it. And no, he doesn't in any way shape up to be that guy. But, but you see, I'm going to tell people, God would say, that I am the God who calls that which is not as if it is. Do you remember what John said a couple weeks ago? God created through the Word. And through the Word, that which wasn't became that which was. And so God says, yeah, right now he's just kind of a crook but I have chosen to do something powerful in his life. And that's really what God is doing in your life and my life. There was a time we didn't know God. There's a time we knew it not. There was a time we tried to get everything we could. But then God came to us and got things kind of straightened out. The funny thing, Jacob and stealing all of that stuff from his brother 
would have had it all anyway, whether he did that to his brother or not. Because God promised in that dream to bless him. So Jacob goes on, do you think that changed him at all? No, just like us. So he goes on and cheats a little bit with his father-in-law, and he's trying to make this happen and make that happen. Just a consummate, let's just be what we can and make as much as we can and then all of a sudden, kind of the third occasion happened in his life when he found out his brother Esau was coming at him and he was coming at him with an army. You know, there are times when our past catches up with our present and here it was and now this guy who had known how to control everything is stuck because his upset brother who he cheated out of a blessing is coming at him. So he tries to figure out what he can, sends all the possessions over a river, sends his wives over the river, does everything he can do, and, and, and the good book says, and he was just standing there alone, and then somebody comes out of the woods and mugs him, just wrestles with him. Not a two-minute period, not three two-minute periods if he wrestled, but just wrestled them all to pieces. And in the midst of that, Jacob realized he couldn't beat this guy. And he realized that this guy seemed kind of like a superhuman kind of guy. And then he realized this guy may be God at that moment wrestling him. And what does Jacob do? He holds on to this guy and he grabs him and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God looked at him, though he still was kind of a goofy guy, not perfect, just like us. And God says, I'm going to bless you. And he gave him at that spot a blessing. And Jacob is rocked to the core. I would be too. And then the fourth instance of a blessing happens. He meets Esau on the other side of the river. And on the other side of the river, here he comes with an army. He's scared out of his wits. And he comes up to his brother and he falls on his knees and he calls his brother Lord. You know, he's using everything he can. And then he gets himself up and he shakes off all the dirt. And he says, Esau... I want to bless you with 800 of my finest animals. And I'm not doing it to just appease you. I'm doing it to bless you, to give you a gift, to give you something powerful that will change your lives. And Esau received at that time a huge amount of livestock probably bigger than he would have gotten in the beginning Jacob was a changed man once God wrestled things out of him and one of the things he wrestled out of him was his self-determination and one of the things he wrestled out of him was the idea that you get whatever you grab because God just said and I want to teach you about what the love of the father really is it's a love that says, I cherish you. Daughter, I cherish you. Son, I cherish you. 
And I've decided in my heart to bless you, not because you sneezed, not for a couple French fries that are on the plate, but a blessing is a statement of love, a statement of a preferred destiny, a sense of human connection and touch, irrespective of whether a person really can ever earn it or deserve it and has major a shower of love. Oh, blessing can tell someone the truth rather than keep them in an error. Blessing can tell a person, you really need to do this because this fallen narrative is really catching you every time you try to stand on your feet. A blessing can bring a person through a trial that leads them to a better place. A blessing to Jacob could be, hey, guess what, Jacob? You and I, God and you, we're going to be doing a little wrestling match and you aren't going to win. But I'm not going to hurt you. I do it just so you ask me for the blessing. And then I'm going to give it. Wow. Let's go to my life in these last minutes here. Your life. Bless, curse not. How many words do we use about ourselves that are really curses? But we believe them. We live our lives by them. How can we bless people around us with a word that actually asks God to be involved in their lives? When I tell someone, may the Lord bless you, I actually believe it's going to happen. Because words create worlds, and we can create such help in other people. Let me close with this. There was a guy, they wrote a book about him. His name was Jabez. He's stuck in kind of an obscure little story in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. And, and basically the whole theory is this guy was born in pain. He was the life of pain. He was the guy whose life was nothing but pain. And then one day, Jabez says, God, will you bless me? And the Lord blessed him. And today, you may feel your life, you were born in pain. But like Jabez, you can reach out to that God who loves you. And here, maybe not your earthly father or mother, but your heavenly father say, I love you. And like Jacob saying to God at that wrestling moment, I won't let you go until you bless me. Into God's heart, it gave one reaction only. I will bless you. That's the blessing that I hope gets transferred into your life rather than the curses of the fallen narrative in which we live. Because the blessing is a powerful word not to be relegated to a sneeze not to be relegated to a couple of french fries on a plate, 
but to know that it is one of the most powerful words of the biblical record, a word that creates worlds, a world that is a positive destiny rather than the opposite. Hey, this week, we've got the opportunity to bless people and to bless our lives by not cursing ourselves or other people. Thanks for spending this time with me. God bless you. Bye-bye.